your maze tattoo, update your conspiracy board, and get ready to weather the storm with us as we return to Haven. This is Trouble, the self-proclaimed number one Haven rewatch podcast, debuting back in 2010 as a sci-fi channel original show. Haven stars uh, Emily Rose, Lucas Bryan, and Eric Balfour as they take on different take on a different curse every week while trying to solve the mysteries of Haven. I am your first host in our father-son podcast, uh, Alex French. And I'm your co-host, Rich French. The French that survived the Texas snowpocalypse and subsequent power <laughs> outages and contaminated water. Thank God I know how to drive on snow. And by the way, self-proclaimed, I have quite a few friends who think we are the best Haven Rewatch podcast. Oh, I don't know. Emily gave a shout out to a different Haven podcast in the commentaries. I don't know. I mean, do they get, do they get number one? Hexed. The Sisterhood of the Supernatural, which I can only find five episodes on. Uh, no, I don't think they. <laughs> I don't. We, we've got them beat on quantity. All right, so like every episode, we jump into our recap. This one is gonna be a little quicker. We're doing episode six of season two, Audrey Parker's Day Off. Uh, if you guys have seen Groundhog Day, you know what you're in for. All right, so episode begins pretty much where the last episode left off, right? Chris and Audrey hooked up in this episode. I don't know if it's directly right after, but it almost feels like it could be right after the end of the last episode, like the next day. I, I would say most likely. That's that's how it they lead, kind of lead us to believe. Yeah, and so Audrey's taking a day off, and they're going to go have um, a picnic and hang out. Audrey's got a little business she's got to do first. So her and Chris head out. They talk to Duke real quick. And Duke's enamored with Chris, right? Oh, no, uh, no, 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 no. Not, That's right. Not the first time. The first time uh, she sneaks by Duke because she doesn't want Duke to know she's, uh, you know, riding the hobby horse with Chris. So exactly, exactly. So they go do um uh career day or whatever what what if your adult do a work day audrey goes to an elementary school and talks to kids gets a little crazy talking about cartel stuff uh but and snipers uh, and snipers but kind of tricks them into talking to chris for the rest of the day uh on their way out of the school audrey's getting alerts you know for police stuff and chris is kind of trying to get her to like hey come on like Let's go on it's her day date. off. It's her day off. But then she gets an alert from Nathan that she can't ignore. So she has to go to the scene that Nathan has called her to. And when she uh, arrives at the scene, it's uh, kind of a downtown haven. And it's there's been some type of accident. And Nathan kind of won't let her see what happened because uh, he said a kid was killed. Uh, and I emphasize, he says, a kid was hit by a car and killed. And all they see in the evidence bag is these green uh, knockoff Chuck Taylors. And then all of a sudden, while Audrey's all sad, you get a little wama womp action and blurry image. She wakes up. She's in bed. Chris is kissing her. It's 7.34 a.m. on the alarm clock again. Yeah, no Captain and Tennille this time. But for uh, shame, we, we have a Groundhog Day situation going on. So Audrey's kind of freaked out They're, you know, the typical stuff. She's talking to Chris like, oh, that's kind of weird or whatever. They go down this time. They do talk to Duke and he tries to proposition Chris into eating pancakes or waffles with them. They get out of it, head into town. But after talk, because they talk to Duke, Audrey has to pay rent. So she gives Duke a rent check, right? 
So after giving Duke the rent check, they go through kind of the typical stuff they've gone through, go to school, blah, 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 blah. This time, though, she goes to the police station to talk to Nathan before everything happens uh, and tries to convince him I'm reliving the same day. Right. And Nathan being Nathan, he uh, believes her and says she's living his uh, second favorite Bill Murray movie. Right. So this so this time they go out looking for who might kill, run over this kid. And while they're doing it, Duke's downtown uh, trying to get his rent check cashed. And he gets hit by the car this time instead of the kid. And he dies. Right. And then yeah. uh, Nathan comes up and tries to you know be emotional with him. And uh, Duke's just like, uh, shut up and, and dies. Yeah. And cue Audrey waking up again. We go through similar events this time, though she leaves Chris with Duke, right? Okay, right. Yeah. So Chris is hanging out with Duke so that Duke doesn't get run over. And then will Audrey and Nathan go through it again? The for uh this is the third time now we're kind of going through it. How's this right. one turn out? Yeah, they're they're like uh you know, they booted beige sedans and you know, or impounded them still trying to stop it and all of a sudden this time freaking nathan gets hit by a blue sedan right in his dying moments he manages to get some details so audrey next time they do it they'll have some more clues to go on on. right he's a a cop to win you know mentions you know uh, you know older man middle medium build yada things like that cop till the end so we do the day over again and this time basically the same shit and this time Chris dies. And now Audrey's kind of had enough, right? Now she's got enough to solve it because uh, we kind of are on to a guy that was fighting in the school parking lot with his uh, wife. And we see him again downtown, right? Right. And then after after Chris is hit and dies, he says, you know, uh, he says, it's my fault. I made you cross the street. And then she mm-hmm. realizes, I saw you at the school arguing and you're here. She's like, you're always there. She resets again. Right. So this guy, basically the next day she figures out this guy, Anson, has uh, OCD and he's fucked up with his daughter. Right. And he yeah. the stress has kind of activated a trouble that's resetting the day. Right. So they basically figure out that the, the first day, the first death was uh, it was his daughter, Jeannie's birthday, mm-hmm. and he didn't pick her up for school. So her mom was pissed and her, so her mom took her for ice cream. So Anson went and bought her the, the green shoes she wanted, and but he couldn't get himself to cross the street. And Jeannie saw, must have seen him and ran into the street and got hit. And that's what sent Anson into this traumatic time loop with his OCD constantly making him relive it and and still mess up. Right. So Audrey kind of gets through to Anson. They kind of solve his issue to a degree with getting him to the birthday part or at least getting to call her on the birthday and give in Audrey delivers the shoes. Uh, but something's still not right. And then Anson has to, you know, he has to fix things. Right. Right. So Anson at first didn't believe Audrey, but then uh, after she kind of proves it, Anson tells his daughter on the phone, you know, on the speakerphone, he says, hey, I, uh, you know, besides his I love you and his pep talk for her, he's like, tell tell Officer Parker, uh, I believe her and I know what I have to do to save everyone, which makes Audrey kind of freak out and yell, hey, stay in the car, stay in the car. But she runs out. Anson did not stay in the car. He gets out. And as soon as the beige sedan comes out, he steps into the street, smack, he's killed, but he has ended it. Audrey's like screaming, reset, reset, but it doesn't reset this time. 
Right. So at the end, everybody's kind of gathered at the gray goal. Audrey's blaming herself. Chris is telling her not to. Uh, they're having a moment, but Audrey starts pushing away, being like, I know in one of the days, you know, he told her about a potential job in London. She's like, you should take the job in London. You should go. And he's like, okay, you know, well, I guess we'll see each other when we get back or when I come back or whatever. Uh, but it's kind of like a, yeah, maybe, but not really. This is kind of goodbye. And then. Right. Nathan was there and Nathan, you know, explained, you know, filled in the, the details for Audrey. The driver of the car was an elderly man who was just confused and he couldn't tell the brake pedal from the accelerator pedal. And uh, the day that it was the blue car was because they, they booted his beige sedan. So he took his wife's blue sedan. So he kind of explains all that, you know, reaffirms his faith in her and that she can never fail him. Then they go inside when Chris comes out and then Duke and Nathan finally tells Duke that Chris is troubled and that they can't look at him or, or you'll get man crushed. And then uh, Chris comes in and they're like, turn their backs to him. And it's kind of a really funny little scene. And then Audrey is watching them and then moves to the side where they, she, she can't be seen, you know, seeing the three men in her life. Right. Nathan kind of looks out the door and when he looks, she's hiding, uh, but she hasn't walked away, but she's still doesn't want to be seen at the moment. That's it for that episode. Uh, pretty big one. Feel like this is the, this is like the, the one they really pinned it all on. Where they're like, this one needs to be, this one needs to be great. We gotta, you know, we we gotta we gotta maximum velocity tribute episode. We gotta make sure this one is uh, yeah. aces. They, they had to after the last two episodes. Uh, yeah, they, they needed to. Uh, uh, you know, in the words of uh, Harry Dunn, totally redeem themselves. So did they? What did, what did you rate this episode? They did. They did. I really love this episode and think it is by far the best of season two, by far. And and it's one of my uh, favorite episodes for the overall series. I really loved it. Mm. I, I think the three main character, uh, characters, I think the three main actors were incredible. All of the death scenes were very touching. Even some had some humor mixed in. And uh, who doesn't love a good old-fashioned Groundhog Day-themed episode? That's that's great stuff right there. So uh, I, I loved it. I give the writers credit. And uh, I give it a solid nine on the patent-pending Frenchometer. Yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about what I would give it as a ranking. <laughs> but I'm going to blaspheme. I've been uh, given an eight. I'm not going to give it the nine. Give it an eight. Oh, for shame. I know, I know. After you gave that shit last week a seven and, and the week before. Oh, I think I gave that was that. I gave one a seven. Oh, hold on. I was, I, was, I was dealing out some fives and sixes, okay? Yeah. Uh, uh, With Roots, didn't I give Roots a, I thought I gave Roots a five. I'm pretty sure I gave Roots a neutral, like, no. Yeah, and I think I think neutral is way too positive for it. But. <laughs> uh, it, it yeah, I, I'm being harsh, but yeah. No, no, no. I understand. I, I think the episode's very good. Uh, we've seen a bunch of Groundhog Day episodes, but it's very good. I think my only hang up with the episode is that it's a little. It's not quite right, but I. The repetition is. I just don't think they like 100% nail it. I don't think they get the. I don't think they add enough diversity to each day, the, just enough to make each one interesting. I think there's like one too many days in there that's a little like maybe the Chris dying day or the Nathan dying day. One of those feels a little, 
uh, flat, a little empty. Like they could have combined those or something. But I know that we needed all three of them to die. We needed the initial death and then the final death. So I know you needed all of them, but maybe the clues weren't distributed as evenly, you know, to figuring it out. Maybe that's kind of my problem with it. But I, and a small problem. The episode's great. The episode's great. So I want to make sure that I'm clear that I think it's a very, very good episode. But that's kind of my one little like hang up. Yeah, well, and that's uh, I, I see what I see what you're saying about you know because I agree with you. I mean, you you, ba- you really did need the five deaths. I mean, because yeah. we you had to take uh, you know, and the writers even talked about that. You know, they needed to take uh, Audrey th- through the ringer. So basically, every time she loses someone she loves, right? You know, outside of the first you know death, which is tragic, it's a child, and then the last death, it's you know uh, you know the guy with a mental health condition who has all good intent. So, you know, but kind of like a, one of a, the takeaways I had was uh, I thought the writers did a heck of a job in constructing the whole thing, and and I think there's very few inconsistencies. Yeah, and, and it's how oh, the yeah. heck could I, I, I didn't. Heck, What's that? I was gonna say, how the heck could they have written the previous two episodes and then come up with this gem? Is that that's all? Uh, I mean, you know, it's kind of like uh, when you're building a building. You know, there's certain walls that are more are load bearing walls, right? Right. I think okay. It kind of applies to TV show seasons where you have your load bearing episodes, or it's like, okay, this one's got to this one's got to count. The other ones, uh, but this one's got to be important. It's almost like your mid season. Right. This is all because we typically I think this season is 12 episodes in a Christmas special. Right. So this is like the midway point. Right. This is the midway point of season two. See, I think you need something really strong in the middle is what I would. You know, you want a strong opener and a strong finale. And then you want something pretty solid in the middle to kind of, you know, keep the tent up, if you will. Yeah. And I I think they achieved they achieved that goal. No, I think it's good. I mean, uh, I only really noticed uh, two inconsistencies, and one of them I didn't notice, but uh, they, they, which I'm, I'm ashamed I didn't notice, because even the the Zuckerman sisters who who wrote the episode had mentioned the, that the baseball was the baseball game that there's no way the Red Sox would be finishing a game at noon. You know, it's uh, which yeah. is true. There, there, that is, and I can't believe I didn't catch that. I, I should have been a avid sports fan. And the only other inconsistency is on day two. Mm-hmm. When Audrey's talking with Nathan and and she's t- saying how they gotta find the girl with the you know with the green shoes, and in uh, day one, he never says girl, just says kid. So uh, there's no knowledge of it. But that's the only two. And, and then like uh, you know, just one example of them being consistent with it is at the end with Chris, and she tells Chris about you know, hey, isn't there that? Uh, you know, that gig in uh, London where you've got to, uh, you know, go and get funding for your LJ product, LG uh, project. And uh, he's like, I didn't think I told you that because it was in one of the previous days that, you know, previous Groundhog days. So that was consistent at the end when he says, yeah, I think I mentioned that. So I so I just like to give, you know, the, uh, the Zuckerberg sisters credit. I thought they did a heck of a job writing Zuckerman. It. Zuckerman. I want to give this. Well, that, well, that might come in. Uh, we'll talk. <laughs> that yeah. almost is like a connective thread to something else we'll talk about in the commentary. Yeah, but, yeah. Now I'm going all Lloyd Segan. <laughs> uh, but you, you were saying you want to give credit to the Zuckerman sisters. 
yeah. The, I want to give credit to the Zuckerman sisters because I, I thought they did a really good yeah. job of constructing, yeah. you know, the story, the scenes, changing just a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just thought they did a hell of a job and, I, you know, my hat's off to them. In terms of the shoe, I guess you could say maybe the way she saw it was like it was, would you say the shoe is maybe feminine or maybe in the writing, the shoe is more clearly feminine than masculine, you know what I mean? And then yeah, you know, but- obviously production came up and the shoe does, you know, looks pretty gender neutral, but you know, maybe in the original script, it was like very clearly like a little girl's shoe. Yeah, if it, 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 you know, and then not to be stereotypical, but if it was like some pink, pink or, yeah. you know, something like that, that would have been, you know, different. But th- those were pretty cool looking green little shoes. So oh, <laughs> I you're think saying, those... you're saying girly shoes can't be cool. They can be cool. Yeah, they can. Yeah. But yeah, those looked very, uh, I, I guess if we're <laughs> gendering shoes, those were very androgynous. I don't think they really belong to uh, any gender, it seems. No, they, they were unisex yeah. shoes. So I know. Something that probably caught your attention, I assume, was Duke's syrup guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was really intrigued with the syrup because uh, and and it was kind of the way I thought of it was uh, Duke gets it regarding syrup because it's it's just a matter of darker amber amber maple syrup versus all of those other bogus flavors and bullshit. Wait, is it dark? Is it dark or amber? I thought it was dark. Wait, what are the two types? Is it dark? It's dark or amber are the two? Right, exactly. So basically yeah. light versus dark. And there is actually, I looked it up because like the the Zuckerman sister said like, hey, you know, the the, the spiel over syrup is, is, a real de- is a real deal. So I kind of did a search on that and like there's this scale and how it just gets more flavorful and robust as it gets darker. And like it, chocolate you know, and, or and then they, it and, gets more bitter. And then, and then they base it upon how much light can get through the syrup <laughs> is, uh, and, and I was noticing a lot of it was Canadian articles. So the Canadians <laughs> love their maple syrup. Hence, I love the Canadians. What, uh, do who's, who's, who's Duke's guy though? Is it Teddy? Yeah, I, I think he's, I think he's getting his uh, small batch of maple syrup stolen right out of the uh, maple syrup producers of Quebec's noses. Yeah. <laughs> Are you dark or amber if you had to choose? I'd like them both. And it just mm. depends on my mood at that day type of thing. Uh, now, I don't I don't think I can get on board with the waffles because I'm, I'm a pancake man. Though, I, don't, I do not understand the waffle hatred. I, I'm not I'm not a big crunchy guy. I, 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 I more. They're not, they're not, cr- they're not crunchy. What, they're not, it's not toast. Usually crunchy. Yeah, no, 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 they're not like there's like they're crisper than pancakes, but they're not crunchy. I wouldn't say. Okay, yeah, I think a crisper. peanuts is crunchy. Like, yeah, okay, okay, I guess crunchy isn't the right uh, <laughs> adjective. I, I would say they're after crisper. Mad, after Mad Libs, I would expect you to know your adjectives better than that. I, I should have, you know, <laughs> considering how pathetic my dad lib was. But uh, about six weeks ago, I discovered a pancake I didn't like. It was multi-grain oh. pancake, and it was so bland and. Uh, you know, I don't know if it, and this place was pretty expensive, so I don't know if it's a matter of all multi-grain pancakes suck or. You I know, actually, like I eat mul- some multi-grain waffles that I really like a lot. So you never, you know, just maybe, some, maybe something waffles got over pancakes as they do multi-grain better. Well, you know, and that's something I'll have to not try. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know this is something I'd never, I, I had never mentioned it before, but uh, I've always thought it, but. I just don't buy Jason Priestley as a marine biologist. 
<laughs> it, just, it just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I I don't know. Well, because I think, like I said before, he mentions where, you know, he has to have his scientist speak where he's like, uh, Newton was talking about, you know, opposites. Tra-. I was like, oh, come on. But Every other than reaction that, has an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah, it's a very, like, Keanu. That's a Infusion. line they give to Keanu to convince people he's a scientist. Like, oh, Isaac Newton said, you know, so... I, he just doesn't use any language or per- personality that you'd expect from a character who's supposed to be a scientist. Like I said, he's not, I'm observant. You're pretty like, uh, you shoot your fucking mouth off like pretty yeah, often. Yeah. I don't know if you're like this, like I said before, I'm not going to go on the rant again, but he doesn't come off as a quiet observer like type that they want no. us to believe. No, and like what, I said, I'm a, what fa- I'm a fan. What profession would you guess? Uh, car salesman, like, and call me first. I kind of, <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of was thinking, I was like, car salesman. I was like, ah, I feel like that's a little stereotypical. I've, maybe, oh, or waiter, waiter at the Peach Pit, like in Beverly Hills. <laughs> okay, you're just pulling from his previous roles. <laughs> Some like office job. I feel like he, he seems he'd be more suited. Like you could see him, I think, as a something higher than a manager, but you know, more corporate-y is where I would imagine him. Oh, kind of like a, you know, a director, CEO type, VP. Yeah, director of (laughs) healthcare services or something. I don't know. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. He has way too much hair for that, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, (laughs) nowadays, you know, know, pretty much everyone's, you know, you're allowed to have reasonable facial hair in management, at least. I mean, depends what level. Beards are in. Beards are in. Yeah, you know, it depends as the the pendulum swings of fashion but how do you feel about him is he he's exiting they say we'll see him again i but for now he's exiting to london right 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 he was going to a symposium i couldn't remember the damn word earlier was some but he's going to symposium to and he's going to use his charming trouble to try to get money for his uh, lg project which is uh right, right. I, well, once again when he talk when he says those things i'm like this just doesn't seem right coming from you i mean uh, <laughs> this is like uh like i said it, it, it's keanu in fusion you know and cold <laughs> fusion cold fusion yeah well you know i was, uh, I was doing the the sequel fusion yeah. two even colder electric uh <laughs> coldaloo i don't know uh, so yeah. yeah yeah i i i'm kind of glad i'm ready to take a break from chris it's there's some guest characters where i'm like ah oh, fraudry i wish we got more episodes of chris i'm like all right, I'm ready to. It's not me, it's you. You know. Yeah. Why can't Audrey explain to Chris what's going on really quick? I mean, they're supposed to be, you know, in love. And well, uh, she... are they in love? In lust. In lust. Uh, infatuated, right? They're in that honeymoon phase of when you first get with somebody, right? Uh, and everything's, you know, roses. But I, I, the writers were saying in the commentary uh, to clarify to listeners, there was two commentary tracks on this one. One with Emily Rose and. Lloyd Segan, uh, one Segan. of the executive producers. Right, and then the other one was by the writers, the Zuckerman sisters, who we've referenced a couple of times. Yeah, there, there was supposed to be a third commentary by the Zuckerberg sisters, but uh, somehow <laughs> that got cut. That one's only on our copies, right? The other copies of the Blu-rays don't have it. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, it's referenced. I think they talk about it on that commentary track about how there just isn't that level of trust yet, right? Like you... 
you know, if you're newly dating someone, you might not trust them with this fact that might make you sound completely insane as much as you would a long-term friend, right? Like, who are you more likely to go to? Someone you've been dating, but you're still kind of worried about what they think about you uh, versus your long-term friend where it's like, bro, you're locked in for life with me. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you're, you're yeah. Gonna, you see all my warts already. So I, I'm willing to like, let you see like the- You're the my crazy. ride or die. Yeah, I guess yeah, so I, I, I get yeah. that. But I, I still, I mean, he's supposed to be, you know, a highly intelligent person. And I would think she could find a way. And I get the whole Nathan's her ride or die, who she trusts the most. And, you know, and they built a pattern of it, like when she couldn't tell Duke first about the, the Lucy Ripley yeah. stuff. And so I, I think it's perfectly justified. Yeah, I, I, I can see it. Okay, so another example of that on kind of uh, day five, uh, Groundhog Day five. Uh, Audrey tells Chris he has to stay at uh, the goal on day five, but why would he listen to her this time and stay at the goal? I mean, it didn't work. La- you know, the last time he got fucking killed <laughs> because he left the goal. Uh, I don't know, just random variants. It's butterfly effect. You know, things are going all over the place. There's no telling how it's going to turn out. See, I contend based on Chris's nature, he would have left every time unless she told him, which supports my theory of she should have told Chris a little bit more. If he, if she does tell him too, the more he's gonna want to be there to help her out with it. And she's like, "I just want you, I want less variables. I want to control the variables. Just stay at the fucking goal away from the situation, because then you're another thing I gotta like pay attention to, right? Because she's very, I think, mission oriented. And having, you know, it's it's fine with Nathan because he's trained, you know, and he's ready. And also, as we saw when he died, he was still ready, you know, to go cop mode, like. Like, yeah, yeah, sympathy, sympathy. I hear the details, though. Like, get, you know, I want you to figure this out. Medium build. Uh, yeah, Couldn't get a plate. <laughs> I, I really actually loved that. I, I thought that was you know, great writing, incredible acting. So, you okay. know, they're they're like essentially soldiers in a battle, right? And, and Chris is a civilian, you know, like there's there's too much risk and variance with him coming. So it's just stay on the sit on the bench on this one, pal. Yeah, uh, you know, but but I, I do, I, but I do think you're right in the sense that I think you're on to something that Chris would Chris really listen to her? No, Chris is a stubborn jackass who does whatever he wants when he thinks uh, he's the smartest guy in the room. Always. Yeah. yeah, you know, he you observes know. everybody for one second. It's like, yeah, I'm smarter than everyone. Okay, done with observations. Uh, right. Time to act. When we already know that <laughs> Keanu's character in Cold Fusion is smarter than everyone, so <laughs> even Morgan Freeman apparently. But, I, I mean, I feel like Morgan Freeman, you know, in a movie you can pull off, I'm smarter, you know, sounds, I would be like, okay, maybe this guy's smarter than me. Keanu, I'd be like, hey, this guy's probably cooler than me, but I don't know if I could buy he's smarter than me. Okay, Morgan Freeman can pretty much pull off whatever he wants to pull off. Uh, <laughs> the man is an icon. So, I mean, you know, I'm hoping in the afterlife, you know, that there is a God, uh, he has Morgan Freeman's voice. <laughs> He's like, I only let one human use this voice throughout all of history, and it was Morgan <laughs> Freeman. <laughs> okay, uh, one more thing about Chris. <clears throat> Actually, I got another one after this because I, you know, I'd like to go over some. Chris had some some pretty funny quips in in this episode that I liked at least. I, I, this was probably the best Chris episode of all of them. You know, and uh, but so at the end there. Like when Audrey's like, hey, you should go to the symposium in London and you know, secure the funding. You know, I can't have you give that up, give up your, your life's work for me. And he's like, OK, 
See you when I get back. I mean, really, he's not going to put up a little bit more of a yeah. resistance there. I'm a, yeah. yeah, you know, he. I think he's perceptive enough to know, like, hey, what do you like? Whatever happened, you're freaked out about, and you're pushing me away. But he's just kind of like, well, maybe he's tired of it. Where he's like, okay, like, I, you know what? I'm going to take a break from this because she's got fucking problems. Yeah, uh, I just, you know, I don't know if you're, uh, you know. If, if she's like the literally the only person he has liked in God knows how long, I mean, I would think he'd want to, you know, put up a little resistance and say, no, I'm willing to make this work. You know, even if you don't have off days, I'll spend what time you do have, you know, maybe you're, we're over value, overvaluing his uh, people skills. Maybe he's like, fuck, this is a lot of work. I tried liking a person not really working. I'm going to go back to hate uh, uh, solitude, let's say. Yep. Uh, I'm going to get back to my LG. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the LG doesn't break my heart. <laughs> and what was your last Chris point? Do you have another? Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, you know, some uh, some of his, uh, like I said, quips, you know, he, you know, so like on, on day two, when Audrey says she has to find Duke and then he's like, after last night and you want to see him, that was pretty, that was pretty funny. And eh, then, uh, eh, dude, really on, for me. Yeah, I, and then on day three, when when she wakes up, Audrey, you know, you know, like the day or whatever the 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 day he died. You know, the uh, next time she wakes up, she's like, uh, thank God. And then he's like, uh, I must have done something right last night. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> I was, one. I thought that was pretty good. So, like I said, th this was probably his best episode. I wouldn't necessarily say he was great in it. I mean, but the best one for, for me. I I'm not going to miss the character, though. <laughs> all right. Do you buy that? Do you? Okay. So, first of all, Groundhog Day is Nathan's second favorite Bill Murray movie. Uh, I was going to ask you what you thought was the first, but in the commentary, they reveal Nathan's favorite Bill Murray movie. Right. And uh, that was one of my questions for you. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, do you, yeah, I was going to say, do you buy that his favorite? So for everyone on the commentary track, they reveal that Nathan's favorite movie, Bill Murray movie is Caddyshack. Right. The Zuckerman sisters say it's Caddyshack. And I would have to agree, to be honest. You'd have to agree? Wow, I don't know. I, 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 I don't well, think Caddyshack's Caddy a mess. Me personally, no. I, I love Caddyshack. Oh, it's I, an all-time classic. Uh, I mean, you got to remember, it's my childhood. It's just sloppy, like, dude. It's just like, it's just, it's just yeah, things. You watch Caddyshack before you learned anything in film school or anything. And you, no. You, no, no, you, even before then, Caddyshack's no. a mess. Caddyshack's a mess. Dude, I think they didn't even have like something like they didn't have a script for the second half or something like that. Like half, like, or half the movie got like uh scrapped or something and you the don't need a script when you have rodney dangerfield chevy chase and bill murray no, i mean no, you no, really no. don't do this you, you just tell rodney to like just do some of his stand-up <laughs> on the golf course that's all but no, no, I, for, for me personally i i like stripes better myself especially I, considering I, seen, I, well, I know what it is but i haven't seen stripes or at least i don't well, remember <laughs> you, you gotta see stripes yeah but but most people think caddyshack that is his best film. I, um, I, I, I bet you if you pulled America, they would, uh, you know, internationally too. Let's just stick with America just for the same cultural lens, mm -hmm. but uh, for our polling data, not that anyone can pull anything accurately nowadays, but uh, for our polling data, I bet you it would finish. I bet you'd be 65, 70% at least. No way. Oh yeah. I, I already can tell you what everybody would what the what would be the winner not even off of like what its true merit is but 
due to sheer popularity, uh, Ghostbusters would easily win. Oh shit! I completely forgot about Ghostbusters. Yeah, so I'm not yeah. arguing whether or not I Ghostbusters. forget about Ghostbusters. Yeah, that would be number one. Ooh, yeah. that's a major sin as a Gen Xer, man. You have to take your Gen X card away from you. Ah, <laughs> uh, shit! I just aged twelve years into the boomers. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'd say just uh, get, get me that CBS of, All Access, and uh, so I can watch Blue Bloods twenty four twenty four seven. Off of pure, off of sheer popularity, I would say the majority of people are going to say Ghostbusters as their favorite Bill Murray movie. Yeah, I think so, but I think it, I, I think it would be closer probably than you think with uh, people older than me who were Caddyshack was their really first exposure to him. Yeah, maybe people mm-hmm. older than you, but once again, we got to pull like. A, a gigantic audience so i would well, say the, and then what we get people 25 and under uh, you know they might think it's something like scrooged or who knows <laughs> or you don't you like know. scrooged i like scrooged it was <laughs> it was hilarious i mean uh, i'm trying to think you know they, i hope i hope they don't think it's like lost in translation wow i mean are we talking in terms of like uh I mean, the apples to oranges right lost in translation i i do is think actually so. probably my favorite movie of those of like it might be my favorite but that's also because i don't know um i think comedy is just a tough it's just a tough game because it's so subjective um and also time i think time really dramatically warps comedies so things you know how many kids are gonna find stripes funny now or how many kids even will get animal house you know or any of like the comedy or vacation you know how many people are gonna get the classics now it's like I feel like comedy is very in the moment, so it's harder for it to last beyond well, right. its period. It, no, and, and and that's true because uh, Stripes has got a lot of Cold War implications, yeah. and you know, and people, you know, people who didn't. I mean, even you, the, the when you were born, the Berlin Wall was already down, and the Soviet Union was no more. And uh, mm-hmm. speaking of which, you know, I actually had a piece of the Berlin Wall, and I left it with my mom when I switched to active duty and. God knows where she put it. It's gone. <laughs> Piece of the Berlin Wall. Gone. And you lost it. Damn. Um, you lost a piece of history. So I don't know. I guess Nathan, because Nathan's younger than you, uh, right? Or would he, would he Would he be around your age at the no, time? No, I, I think Nathan would probably be early early 40s, you know, maybe 42, probably at the oldest, right? You yeah. Because he's, so he, he's so supposed he's, to be like 30. I, I, pick, I pick peg him at 32, yeah. maybe 33. Yeah, so he was probably born like 80 to 82, somewhere in there. Yeah, so he's like uh he's probably 10 years younger than me. Yeah, so I'm going to I'm going to go on a limb and say his favorite's Ghostbusters. I I yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I like I said I'm still ashamed I didn't I forgot about Ghostbusters, yeah. Cuz I do think Ghostbusters is is a funnier film than Caddyshack. It's just that like so many people my age and older because Caddyshack is what they really saw first and that's what cemented them. You might even have some knuckleheads who think meatballs is, uh, <laughs> yeah. but and meatballs is good, but I don't think it really stands with those two. Yeah, uh, I mean Groundhog Day is great too. I love Groundhog Day. Yeah, I think that's uh, you know that one has to be can be up there. I mean, I mean while we're speaking of Groundhog Day, uh, would you consider at this point Groundhog Day a genre like of its own? I I think you know. I think I think it's become like a subgenre. I, I would say subgenre, and because uh, while uh, you know preparing for the podcast, 
I started thinking about that, like, hey, do we do a segment on Groundhog Day movies? And I'm like, well, are there really that many? And then as I started thinking about it more, I was like, well, you know what? There are <laughs> there are more. There's that Tom Cruise one. And, yeah, uh, so we got stuff like Edge of Tomorrow or Live, Die, Repeat or Edge of Tomorrow, Live, Die, Repeat or All You Need Is Kill. It's the movie of infinite fucking titles. Uh, if you haven't heard the story behind the titles, it's insane. The movie's got like four different official titles or some shit. Uh, no, that might like, be some good information for the director's cut. Well, there, it's it's not too much. It's the director wanted a title, the producers wanted a title. What it's based off of has an original, a different title, and then they try to do this compromise thing where they named it both things at the same time. So it was like one wanted live, die, repeat. One wanted edge of tomorrow. Then they combined it to be, you know, and at one point there, I think they put all you need is kill on the cover or something. They got rid of that. Then it became edge of tomorrow. Live colon live, die, repeat. So it's just. And then I think they scrapped that. Now it's just live, die, repeat or something. No, then, uh, live, live, die, repeat sucks. That's stupid. And then uh, I think the sequel is going to be like, and I think they're trying to do a sequel where it was like, oh my God, what are we going to call it? <laughs> yeah. Who, who wanted live, die, repeat? Whoever wanted that is an ass. I want right. to say the director wanted live, die, repeat and the producers wanted edge of tomorrow, but I don't know 100% sure on that. I might have it Ed, backwards. Edge of tomorrow. A hundred times crushes that, or, or even that other shit they came up with. No. Well, all all you need is kill is from like I'm pretty sure it's the Japanese version. It's like of the movie is that's its title. Is uh, live die repeat? No, it's all you need is kill. Is what it, the Japanese that, that, version? That sounds like it. That sounds like the Japanese version. Yeah. yeah I mean, to the rough translation, I'm sure. Uh, you know, how it I'm might sure translate it, sounds better or different over there. Much more beautiful in, in you know traditional Japanese, I'm sure. Yeah, we got stuff like that. We got Happy Death Day, um, and the sequel, Happy Death Day to You. Uh, uh, Happy Death Day was awesome. I loved it. I, went, I have not wow. seen the sequel. I wouldn't say awesome, but I would say it was solid. It was a nice, fun little horror movie. Uh, when was the last horror movie like that, though? I mean, it was kind of something new in in, in the genre of horror right where someone is just like hmm, groundhog day but horror uh <laughs> which is what i'm saying that it's like it's become its own thing where you say all right i want to do groundhog day but sci-fi or sci-fi action so then it becomes edge of tomorrow all right i want groundhog day but horror so now it's groundhog day all right i want i mean groundhog day does have uh romance right but right yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I, that's like, basically how he gets out of it is by becoming right, a good right, right. person and falling in love with Andy McDowell's character. I right, right. I couldn't remember if I was character. getting it like confused with a different movie there. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, if you want like a more, or I guess maybe like a more modern version, you know, Palm Springs came out pretty recently and that's Groundhog Day with Andy Samberg. It's pretty good. I like I like Palm Springs a lot. I, I haven't seen it, but I, I've heard good things actually from other people who aren't as uh, snooty about their movies as you. So <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> or the Netflix show Russian Doll has done it. Uh, is a Groundhog Day concept. We also have like a fuck ton of TV shows have done it. Right. Like I remember in Supernatural, there's the one where Dean kept dying. Right. There was like every day is Sam. Sam was reliving Dean dying. Oh, like one time the piano fell out of a window and crushed him or he gets hit well, run over by a boss. Uh, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if Supernatural's done it three or four times. They, <laughs> not, they, they, they were on five years too long. I mean, but other shows like Daybreak, Star Trek, The Next Generation, uh, X-Files and Buffy have all done episodes like this, too. And like I said, in addition to Supernatural. So to become, I feel like its own 
subgenre or like I don't know, maybe over like a main a genre where you then sub in different like, okay, sci-fi, okay, action, horror, uh, like mo- more heavy on the romance on this one or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's above, it's a, a I don't know what, to, I'm not very good with species, genus, class and all yeah. that shit, you know, I got a business degree, but, uh, you know, I took, I took rocks for jocks in college, so uh but nonetheless, it is, I think it is its own category. And then all the different ones, you can kind of do it. And that, cause that's even what the writer said. They're like, yeah, we wanted to do Groundhog Day in Haven. This one was a cool creative way of integrating it into his mental illness with the obsessive compulsive disorder. I thought that was really clever to kind of make like this tick that makes the day repeat until, you know, he does it right. Just like how, you know, he couldn't leave the house until he did whatever he had to do, you know, his tasks that he has to do. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, and even the uh, the Zuckerman uh, sisters said this is the first time they married a curse to uh, you know mental health or behavioral health condition, and uh, and and pretty much everyone t- talked about the actor who who played uh, Anson Shumway and um, you know, Ari Cohen and how great he was. And uh, I just have to agree with them. And I thought he did phenomenal. And uh, and it was it, like it was really interesting that, to see you know a curse attached to a, a mental health condition, and it kind of makes sense. OCD would keep you in a time loop because you're just doing the buttons again. You know, you have to touch the the stove knob eight, ten times. You know, <laughs> lock unlock mm-hmm. the door five times. That so you could it totally actually make made sense to me if any of that was actually all possible of time time loops and stuff, which. Uh, I, I would need Keanu to let me know if the physics <laughs> supports that. But uh. do you do you think there's any new kind of spins on the Groundhog Day concept that could be explored? Like, is there any kind of new revolutionary way of doing it? I feel like we've hit. I feel like we're hitting the ceiling on it, where people are starting to realize, like, hey, wait a minute, people are just doing their shit, but with Groundhog Day mixed, you know. People are just doing a horror movie with Groundhog Day, or people are just doing a sci-fi with Groundhog Day. Do you think there's a new, new way of doing it? Groundhog Day, the musical. Yeah, the, <laughs> there it yeah, is. Yeah. Oh, you know, and then after that, you can franchise it. You know, Groundhog Day musical on ice, and uh, you know, so after and, Shrek did it, you know, it's just natural that Groundhog Day would do it. You know, and then you do an animated version. You know, for you know one of the plus networks and uh, streaming services. But yeah, I but back to Ari Cohen. I, I just I thought he thought he was phenomenal in it, and uh, the the Zuckerman sisters even said that uh, a lot of like the OCD behavior was just him on his own. He did that, and well, he must have done his research. And uh, I just just want to give him credit, and uh, it was cool. And speaking of kind of that, what do you think of Anson's wife Berta? You forgot our daughter's birthday. What a, what do you? What I'll do you mean you. specifically like that? She wasn't that good or that she was kind of a weird. She was mother. an asshole. <laughs> yeah. She's an ass- Her husband's ill. It's a real, <laughs> it's a real fucking condition and it's a serious condition. And you're like, e- d- you forgot her daughter's birthday. And, and they, you, know, you can't, you're not being a good father. He's fucking ill. You, you callous, cruel bitch. Come on. Well, you know, this is, you know, Haven's a small town. And sometimes as we can see from the rev, we have a person who's not really being thoughtful of what's happening to him, but more just thinking of how it's affecting her. So, I mean, shitty character, obviously, but that's also people, right? 
people yeah. don't, don't take into consideration what's going on with people or the context around a situation, just how it's affecting them. So shitty and annoying, 100%, but that's also people, shitty and annoying. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I ju- it just pissed me off because, uh, you know, I got my own. I don't think I'd ever be technically diagnosed with OCD, but, you know, I have my own OCD traits and, uh, you know, it's a real thing. So, like, I won't eat uh, meat on the bone. So I don't eat chicken legs. I don't eat chicken wings. I don't eat ribs, you know. Jason eat McRib, come on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I tried it and it was horrible. Jeez, what the hell was my taste buds like in the 80s? Shit. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, no, I just it just it really pissed me off. I'm like, that is so inconsiderate. I mean, the man is struggling. And he's such a good man that he basically kills himself to save everyone. What, what more do you want? Any bought or cool green shoes? Let's talk about Duke's death scene. How did you like the, I'm glad they put some scratches on him. So this isn't a Vanessa situation where, you know, he doesn't have any burns where it's, oh, they put a little, some scratches, but how was the acting on Duke, on Duke's death? I don't know. It was a little, a little cheesy, wasn't it? You thought it was cheesy? I thought, Nathan, I thought, uh, I thought Lucas and, uh, and Priestley pulled theirs off better. I liked it. I, I liked it because, you With know, it's like fake coffee. Like, oh, 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 Audrey. Oh, like, oh, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the lines are fine. I don't have a problem with the lines. In fact, I'm going to come back to that. But like, I thought the exchanges were fine and stuff, but it was just the actual like, like hammy, like, oh, oh I'm delivering. Uh, like, was it? Hey, this is, I don't this, know. This, this is the second time. I mean, after uh, Nathan, you know, gave him CPR on steps yeah. with his Fu Manchu mustache. Uh, I mean, yeah, how many times is, well, um, how many times do we have to go through with this? But yeah, he, I don't know. I, just, I wasn't, I was like, eh, I was like, you're kind of pulling me out of the drama of the scene. But I kind of liked, I kind of liked how, you know, obviously uh, Nathan struggles to kind of, say what he's feeling you know to feel anything oh well uh how he feels (laughs) you know emotionally to him and how duke's trying to give him a pass you know just shut up just shut up yeah so i mean i i I did like it but then again i probably watch one more cbs show than you and that explains it uh i mean like i said the lines are fine uh everybody else is great i just thought Eric Balfour's delivery is a bit hammy. But I will say one thing they mentioned in the commentary is that they originally had a line where he mentions the tattooed man. And I'm glad that it got cut out because that would have just overcomplicated the scene, you know, it would have taken the attention off of the emotion and Audrey and everything. And this is obviously very focused on Audrey because she's in every single scene of the episode. Right. Yeah, it was a grind for her. Right. Well, yeah, but. You know, it's it's all 100% about her. This isn't about Duke and the tattooed man and shit. Uh, for all intents and purposes, it's almost like a dream state because it's erasing itself, you know? Like, these things don't actually happen. So it's, I think, pulling in Duke's subplot would overcomplicate things. Uh, and it's just nice to keep it simple. So I'm glad that they they seemed like that was the superior choice. Yeah, yeah, I, I would uh, I would agree with that. Speaking of Duke, I thought Duke had some of his best lines ever in this episode. I mean, pretty much all of the ones when he sees uh, Chris and Audrey coming down the stairs, like uh, like the, like the first time he talks to them. Uh, uh, you know, I get it. You helped her break in her new apartment. 
<laughs> I thought that was funny. Then like, I think it's the next time. And he, he's so excited. He's like, I'm glad you chose my place of business to express yourselves physically. Love well, happens here and you're staying for waffles. Uh, well, the physically also is like a big pause, right? Where he's like to express yourselves. And you're kind of, you know, Audrey's like, uh, and he's like physically. And she's like, oh my God. He went there. Yeah. That was, yeah. uh, I, I just said uh, that was, he usually has some, most of the time pretty good lines. And, but that, that one was pretty funny. I mean, I, I loved them both. Although he doesn't know what alliteration is. He thought he's like mentioning that taco Tuesday rhymes. And he was like, well, I guess it doesn't rhyme, but he didn't yeah, mention when I, when alliteration. I, when I first watched it, I paused it after that, after he said that. And I was like, does he fucking realize that Taco Tuesday does not rhyme? And uh, <laughs> yeah. we said that he was like, yeah, I guess it doesn't rhyme. But the, uh, but then I then I I, yeah. I press play and then oh, I'm like, okay, thank God, because I'm like I'm gonna have to go off on the podcast about that. <laughs> really, and um, but speaking of that, do you think the goal would serve tacos? Yeah, fish tacos. The tacos he were drawing looked like, uh, you know, Tex-Mex tacos. That didn't look like fish tacos. That's just because that's the visual that, like, everybody, you know, recognizes tacos. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure they have, like, I'm sure they have would have options for, like, you know, I'm sure they would have, like, ground beef version, but also I'm sure they would have fish tacos, you know? I, I think they'd have stuff like the banger in the mouth thing that uh, well, it's you a special. Created. It's, you know, it's a special thing. It's just for Tuesdays. I I still don't I still don't buy the the taco the taco Tuesday. You're not I mean, buying the taco. Well, I mean it happened, so no. But it was a nice little drawing. I'm sure Eric Belfort didn't actually draw that. And uh, <laughs> how do you know? It, the the pricing looked about right. You know, uh, just make make the large like a, a buck and some change. Large, you know, more so that you appears you're getting more value. Okay. Speaking of Nathan, I really liked how. Audrey and him interacted after his death scene when she sees him for the first time and it's the coffee thing. Because uh, the, the repetition that I was talking about was, you know, she comes out of the, she wakes up and she, you know, she has to hug Chris and then she has to hug Duke. And if I was like, if she has to hug Nathan, it would just become so boring. No, I, I agree with you. You totally. I had uh, the, the, the same thoughts when I saw it. I, I mean, and especially after hearing the commentary, I, you know, I was like, yeah, you're right. That is really, that's really kind of a special thing. That's, you know, I don't, I, I've never noticed them doing that. Her checking the coffee no, to see I, if it's I, too hot for him to, I don't recall them doing that, but I don't, that, I don't think that's a previously established thing from us, but you can tell from the way they do it, that it's something mm-hmm. they've yeah, done. Yeah. Completely, completely uh, believable. And uh I liked it. It was subtle versus being overt, you know, like, cause like some of the other writers hammer us over the head with the same shit over <laughs> and over, but that's a cool way to show her, her affection for, for Nathan. It was a very sweet and touching scene. Oh. Yeah. It was just nice to get some variety. So we didn't have to watch like her hugging again, where it's like, Oh my God, this is the same thing that you did before. Uh, and it's personalized, right? It's, it's something special and unique to them and they're taking in their, his unique characteristics and applying like behavior, which is like great character work instead of just like, you know, an amateur would just have them hug, but some, you know, these very skilled writers figure out something that's uh, a reasonable exchange that's believable between the two of them. That's personalized to them. Uh, I thought that was expert, expert work. Yeah, no, that, that that was excellent. 
And, uh, you know what I didn't realize till, uh, we were do- just now when we were talking about the podcast and it's great. It, it didn't need it, but I just realized Dave and Vince were not in this episode. It didn't even cross my mind that they weren't yeah, around, that's but it, true. It, they weren't needed, which is great. You know, I like when, you know, the writers knew once again, keeping it simple, they didn't need to overplay their hand and inf- include other characters. It's just the core four. Uh, we're all we needed, really. Right. Well, and this is uh, more serious in tone. And while there is comedic elements, they they, they kind of, <laughs> it, it's it's kind of tamped down a bit. So, but still hilarious in, in their spots. So, I don't know if Dave and uh, Vince would have fit really with this. Yeah. I mean, Vince has been getting a little crazier lately. Uh, Dave, Dave, I'm sure Dave would have been like, "Oh my God, wait! So this day is not going to count and get erased. All oh, the things I'm gonna do." Which is like, oh my God, Dave, no. So uh, did you catch the the King reference in the show? Hmm. Are we talking about the Anson's last name? Yeah, I I didn't catch it. I I didn't catch it. it. So for those. I only remember two characters' names in Under the Dome. Oh, Dale Barbie and. uh, Big Jim Rennie. Big Jim, Big Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the only two I can remember is Barbie and Rennie. Yeah. I didn't remember her last name was Shumway, which apparently was the name of the hall that uh, one of the sisters, uh, the writers uh, was, was in for boarding school. Yeah. Wow. So, Under the Dome would have been pretty new at the time of them writing this too. Under the Dome would have, uh, I want to say Under the Dome came out in 2010, 2009. So Under the Dome, yeah, would have come out pretty recently to a couple years before she wrote this, so she must be an avid King fan. She read this within a pretty tight window. As as evidenced in this episode, Audrey is pretty e- Evidence Ryan? Evidence Ryan. As evidenced in this episode, Audrey is pretty terrible at parking. Do you think did you did you peg Audrey for a bad parker? She always has been, remember? Did you, see, the did you catch that did you catch that uh little pun, a bad parker? Oh wow, <laughs> wow. That belongs in my dad lib. Shit, yeah. I should have thought of that. I didn't think of it till I was saying it, so I can't. I'm not gonna. <laughs> All right, improv. You're gonna be up there with Wayne Brady and the and, and Drew Carey and the gang. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, she parked horrible in season uh, uh, the first season, and Ju- uh, and uh, not Julia Carr, but Eleanor. Doc Eleanor was like, you know, riding on her car for how shitty she parked. Oh, but, that and, was just no, that, 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 parking that was... in the wrong spot. Yeah. yeah. She was like next to the curb and within she wasn't up on the curb or like a skew or something. But she parked pretty shitty at like Haven at HPD. I mean, Haven Police Department, I've noticed. So that last scene at the goal, uh, I, I love that the humor of that when uh, when uh, Nathan tells Duke, he's like, hey, Chris is troubled. And, you know, you, you know, when you look at his face, you know, you you won't if you don't look at his face you won't get uh man crushed and then like duke's like now you tell me and then <laughs> so that was funny but then when chris walks in and they turn their backs and he's like really guys really i i just that was just really really fun to me i i enjoyed it quite a bit this episode did remind me of a doctor who episode a lot i don't know if you'll remember it father's day by christopher it was in christopher eccleston episode in his first well, obviously his only season but the first season of when doctor who came back the Our, reboot sorry, yeah. series one well it's not a reboot it's, it's a not relaunch. a reboot actually no that's a it, you know it's a new series continuation yeah, it's, a, it's a relaunch is what yeah, it is uh, in his first season there's this episode where rose you know reveals her dad died and I, I don't remember the year i want to say 86 
uh, I'm pretty sure it's 86, actually. They go back to 86. Uh, she stops her dad from dying, and then monsters descend basically on the timeline because they know it's wrong and are trying to are going to devour everything, everything, and try to end this timeline. Uh, they're called Reapers. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're all holed up in the church. and at Church, the end, yeah. I was going to say, they're in a church. There's a, it's even like a little, a tannish, brownish car that keeps driving around the block, you know, periodically appearing out of nowhere. And at the end, you know, he figures out he has to, you know, reset. He has to fix things. So he has to run out and get hit by the car to fix the timeline. Otherwise, the Reapers are going to kill everybody. I had forgotten about that, but that is... That's one of my that favorite episodes. It's probably like a top 10 Doctor Who episode for me. I love Father's Day. So did, did you know what the images were uh, that flashed really quickly when Audrey uh, reset? Oh, no. Tell me about that. So it, uh, it, it you know, it's kind of tricky to catch it, but it's uh, the lower half of Audrey's face, uh, you know, you know, d- down to mm. like her. And it's going in different directions. And then there's like a, almost like a Christmas star in the middle. And that's what the image is. If, and like I said, it's tricky to catch. Is it a star but, or is it a face mask implying what's going to happen in 10 years? Lower half I, of her face. It's telling. <laughs> telling yeah, no, something. but <laughs> yeah. So, but it's clear because you can see the blonde hair, her hair, yeah. and it's her, it's, it's her mouth. That was kind of interesting, but it, it took me a while to get it just right to catch it so I could see it. So we got a bit of a thing here where, as they mentioned, so when we're watching the episode, there is an extended intro segment. There's new shots that we haven't seen before. Well, we've seen once before, possibly. We'll get in. I'm going to get into details on that. But there's new shots that uh, we haven't really seen before. But as they revealed in the commentary, those are only on the Blu-ray versions, not the televised version. So I'm not sure if the Netflix or Tubi versions had these new included shots uh because i guess so i guess sean pillar was in charge of the intro so for some reason only harmony the third episode of season one and this episode so far are the ones that have extended intros with more shots than every other one so i don't know but i'm almost positive it's the same shots from they have two versions of the montage yeah i and there are only two so far and unless I've missed it, because you know, I'll be honest with you, I don't typically pay a ton of attention to it after, after I did that write up on, uh, you know, sat through, paused on every single frame. But well, yeah, nonetheless, I, I visually don't really pay attention, but the music beats are different when it's extended like this. So that's what mm-hmm. caught my ear. I'm like, whoa, song's a little different. And then I kind of yeah. rewound and like tuned in to be like, oh, this is, this is different. Like, what's going yeah. on here? I had an observation and I was like, because uh, it came about because Emily Rose was talking about uh, that the podcast Hex Sisterhood of the Supernatural and how they're fans of the show. And they were commenting online that they feel like there's uh, new images and those are hints at things coming up in the show. And then uh, Lloyd Segan says, well, yeah, Sean, Sean Pillar's in charge of that. And, uh, and yes, that's a correct observation and you'll have to keep watching them. And I'm like, bullshit it's it's two it's two montages there's the extended montage and and then the original i have not seen well so that's what i was asking you is this the same one from harmony or is this new Mm -hmm. new images you're 100 you're sure i am sure i mean as soon as we're Mm. done i'm gonna go rewatch it and then i'll you know (laughs) i'll eat crow in the next episode if i'm wrong but i am almost I'm positive because I, I, the last time I watched it today, I made sure I paid attention, you know, to the montage and like, okay. there's not a single new image. So. I mean, that's, that's why I'm at, like I said, you're the experts. That's why I was coming to you. 
Uh, it's yeah, been a while yeah. since I saw Harmony. I didn't really study it as in depth as you did, so I wasn't sure if these were new shots or the same one from Harmony. Yeah, that was. And, it, uh, and if it, I, if it is different, then we were then we next episode we need your report on what's what's changed. Yeah, I mean that really covers the things I had. I just there's a few things about the commentary that that I, I thought might be interesting for uh, for, for the list listeners. Well, one thing I want to ask you a question about that, Emily and Lloyd thought that J- that uh, Jason and Emily had good chemistry. Do you think they had good chemistry? Mm, I mean, it's well documented in our previous episodes. Uh, as you said, this is their best. Uh, this is most the most believable time for me seeing them together. But no, uh, I, for sure the chemistry with, and maybe it's a time thing, but also not really. I feel like her chemistry with Eric Balfour and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to elongate my statement here, but yeah, her and Eric Balfour and Lucas Bryant, but it also might be because I've seen the show, you know, to an extent before. So I'm more familiar and nostalgic for those relationships. Maybe if I go, but my, my, my mind, you know, my observations, not just like my heart or gut, whatever my like, or what's, what do we, what do we, what are the, the classifications here? Your brain, your gut, your heart, whatever. Uh, my brain's telling me from my observations in the earliest episodes that they did have great chemistry right off the bat, uh, separating nostalgia and affections. Whereas like Priestley on this one, and I remembered liking Chris. So that's also kind of what's crazy. Is I remember this episode and I remember when things, you know, when he's going to go off to London, this one thinking it was a very dramatic scene. And this time I'm like, well, get going uh, yeah i'll pack your i'll drive you to the airport buddy. I'll drive you to the airport buddy yeah one-way ticket <laughs> yeah. so i would say that i don't think they have I, I, I it was increasing so maybe it was just a time thing they also mentioned he's a director so i don't know maybe he's in his head thinking about different things and like directing versus being in the moment like it seems like emily rose is very you know she's really locked into her character and really on the process of acting and stuff. Whereas I think Priestley might be more focused on an overall scene or something. So maybe there's just kind of a difference there. Well, uh, Jason Priestley does direct uh, episode uh, nine. So he he will be back <laughs> on the set for sure. But uh, I, I I don't think they, I, I, like I said, it improved this episode, but I still don't think they have good chemistry. And I get, and I think kind of what you say is true is that we're comparing it to the chemistry, but with, uh, you know, with Lucas Bryant and, and uh, Eric Balfour. And I don't think it's, it's not even halfway there of the, their chemistry, even though it did improve this time. Did you, did you notice that comment where Lloyd says he's glad Emily took his acting classes and she agrees and says it's how she landed the job, but it isn't, it's, that's just a joke, right? I don't know. Then I was like, wait a minute. I thought this guy was a producer. Is he like her acting teacher or something? So I was a little conf- uh, bamboozled, yeah. confuddled by the <laughs> yeah, befuddled. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I, I guess that might be Lloyd's uh, sense of humor, where he just like uh, deadpans and plays it straight. But I was like, is this really a thing? And uh, I was just curious. I don't know. Really it a seems thing. a little too simplistic, considering his other joke that goes on uh, way Ooh. too long. Yeah, we we, we, want, we want to talk about that joke because. Uh, yeah, let's talk about it. I mean, okay. we you know you were saying you want to give the meat. You know, we're here to we're yeah. here to report. 
you know, we're doing a service to all those that don't have the Blu-ray and DVD. Right. So uh, Lloyd makes a lot of weird Jewish jokes. And he's like, yeah, Jason's beard is uh, yeah. made up of, uh, you know, beards from uh, other Jewish members involved in the show. And uh, he's actually a rabbi named Jason uh, Priestley Stein. And, uh, yeah, and Emily, Emily kind of laughs, but it doesn't sound like the most wholehearted laugh. I'm like, It's like a Ooh. placating laugh of like... You're yeah. like, ah, I kind of got to laugh because it's going to be weird if I just let it be completely silent. He's going to like say, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, fuck, you know, so you're like, ha, 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 you know, but it didn't feel like a, I actually think this is funny laugh. Yeah. I mean, it might have been one thing if he just joked, eh, Jason's, uh, you know, got a rabbi beard, you know, and then that's it. But he, I mean, he goes on and you know, calls him Priestly Stein. And it's, yeah, the last name was, I mean, it, it started off weird. I had, I didn't remotely think he was going that direction when he started the you know the the bit when he was going on about the beard i was like okay you know he's gonna make a joke about the beard you know here come you know lumberjacks or whatever yeah like, canada pancakes lumberjacks yeah it's all right there for you but instead then he goes the jewish angle and i was just kind of taking i was like whoa like uh and then it just kind of kept going you know it was like a three part <laughs> joke and i was like yeah. Yeah, buddy stop stop yeah yeah that uh that didn't uh, come off all that that well and i don't think that would fly you know in this day and age in light of you know recent events the past couple of years that's just uh for the past know, two thousand years <laughs> the past two thousand years you know since moses you know you know liberated uh, uh the israelites but uh yeah i just yeah i i, I really didn't dig dig that i mean I mean, there were some cool little nuggets that came out of that, that, you know, just as just Lloyd's daughters are named Emily and Rose. Yeah, I would have preferred just Emily in the commentary. Um, I really feel like Lloyd didn't really, I mean, can off the top of my head, did he really bring anything of worth that I was like, oh, that's interesting. No, I can't. I, I can't really I, think of anything that he. Really I think it was on. all her. Yeah, I mean, exactly. He was really doing these dry sense of humor jokes. Uh, a lot of them weren't landing, and uh, yeah, most of them weren't really hitting for me. I was just like, it feels like he's just a sounding board that they thought it might be awkward if it's just one person. I just felt he didn't really offer anything. I would have preferred Emily Rose solo, uh, or maybe even with the writers, because the writers, you know, they had jokes, but it was a it was a healthy balance, right? It was a nice yeah. healthy balance of like. 66 percent maybe maybe higher 70 percent serious 30 percent jokes right dude uh, how long were they going to go on about the subway sandwich shop i mean I, yeah that was <laughs> i well at first i thought maybe there was like some actual like subway train and i was like well that's crazy there wouldn't be a train in a small town like this and then i i was like but there's no way they'd be going on this long about a subway like store and then they kind of review, talk, started talking about the sandwich. I was like, holy shit, they're talking about a fucking subway like in this town. I, I, I couldn't think, I was like, not even our podcast is that irreverent to be spending that much time talking about a fucking subway. <laughs> so the other day I was at Firehouse Subs getting the hook and ladder and <laughs> yeah, no, we're not. And they had to talk about the weather, of course, again. I mean, it was, uh, they they didn't drone on. They didn't drone on. It was a unique weather situation. I I will give them this time instead of just the usual, oh, it's beautiful weather. This time it was really misty. Uh, And and the crazy thing, the the, the reason you, 
a lot of the time, you know, you shoot on stages and stuff because it's one, it's a controllable environment, but also it's hard to write in weather stuff because weather is so fickle, right? You don't want to variable. You know, yeah. You can't, it's, it's really hard to be like, okay, the whole movie takes place in rain. It's like, Oh fuck. You know, we can't rely on that to happen outside all the fucking time, even in, you know, Washington or something. You, meteorology, the only profession where you, you're allowed to be wrong half the time. <laughs> or the, politics. The fact no, that's a you can be wrong all the time. You can be successful. wrong all the time. Right? <laughs> so it's pretty crazy that they got that weather for the whole week that they were shooting that episode. I think that's pretty I mean, that was interesting. Obviously, we didn't need to go on as long as they did about the weather, but uh, I personally was like, I was like, wow, that's fucking crazy that you guys, you know, took oh what five to seven days to shoot this thing and you had that weather the entire time like color me impressed not that it was anything they controlled they didn't have a weather machine I'm like yeah hey, pump out more you know i thought it was kind of cool that the the kid with the skateboard in there wasn't an, an actor he was just a fan of the show and asked if he could come visit the set and like they're like okay come on down and uh shit they put him to work <laughs> oh yeah because they accidentally casted the col- the kid in the photo from the Colorado kid newspaper article, right. And then realized, Oh yeah. fuck, wait a minute. We already had this kid. Is there really nah. not that many child actors up there that they somehow <laughs> forgot that they casted the same kid? Like, can you imagine where he shows up? And someone's like, Hey idiot, you casted the same fucking guy, like kid. Oh shit. I didn't even fucking realize. Yeah. It's like, if we get the kid in the, the you know, the fireball scene, you know, <laughs> he's back in an episode, you know, in the future. And uh, kind of my last tidbit from Emily and Lloyd's uh, commentary was the ending scene where Audrey moves to the side and so they can't see her. That was her idea. And I, and that's one of the cool right. things that's been coming across. A lot of these things, a lot of these really like neat things are Emily Rose's ideas. So I, I wonder if she's ever thought about getting into directing and, uh, you know, or maybe, maybe even writing because uh, she usually has some great ideas. Except you don't think naming her dog uh, McAllister was a great idea. <laughs> well, I mean, if you just go by the Sam Ernst uh, system of naming people, it's just all people you know, you know. You yeah, just, you don't put no real effort into it, right? Yeah, it's just like, oh, what's my uh, what's my father-in-law's name? Okay, well, there, there we go. There's Peter. Uh, what's my well, uh, mailman's, uh, I don't know, my mailman's son's name? Okay, there's uh, Tyler. I don't subscribe to it, but everybody's different, you know. Every writer's got their own method. And it's like, if you're not listening to the commentary, who's going to fucking know? I wasn't watching the episode. I was like, Anson, I bet that's her fucking father-in-law's name, you know? <laughs> well, when I heard Anson, I thought about the only Anson I know, Anson Mount from Hell on Wheels, who... You guys know each other? Do you come to San Antonio often? He, he doesn't know me yet, but... Just uh, kick, but I know him in, intimately. I know him, you know, well, <laughs> not biblically, but... Is it uh, intimately? Uh, and this was kind of neat. At the end of it, it's uh, Sweet Talk Radio covering Carol King's "Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow," which I love. I love Carol King; she's amazing. And Sweet Talk, and at least they could uh, pronounce the, the name of the band correctly, you know, versus you know being calling them Sweetwater Radio. And I think we got a bit of clarity on before. One, I can't remember who said it. It might have been Sam Ernst. One of them says, you know, blah 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 blah. You know. This one's a real song, unlike you know, whatever he calls it, sweet hour, t- sweet time, talk time, radio, whatever he sweet says. Sweet radio is usually, I think, um, what he mistakenly calls them. I think they, they reference that they're in-house, the in-house band. So I guess they must have some kind of contract with Sweet Talk Radio 
that's what that's what I would guess too, based on uh, to just what pump, we've learned. Yeah, just to pump out songs whenever they're like, hey, we need a sad, sad song, and they're like, all right, we're on it. Well, and originally it was going to be Neil Young's "Only Love Can Break Your Heart," and I was like, that's a pretty big get, Neil Young. Now, granted, Neil Young is uh, originally Canadian, so maybe Hometown that maybe discount. That. Yeah, you know, home country discount. Right, I'm yeah, just from the waiting. country. Can you imagine if someone's like, "Hey, can you give me?" A, I'm from the United States, also, dude. Give me a discount. I'm like, what? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a veteran. I'm not a student. I'm, I'm <laughs> not elderly. I'm just American. Like that should get me five percent off, right? Ten <laughs> yeah, percent at least. But uh, nonetheless, I thought that was. Uh, I thought that was pretty. You know, pretty interesting and. Uh, you know, and then they made the comment they they thought Nathan's death was like a final destination outcome. I mean, I can see what I mean. The car crashing, no, but the the the, the steak or whatever whatever that goes into his stomach, I could see how they would like connect those dots. I'm telling you, these writers love Final Destination. Anytime they can find a way, they're they're putting it in there. I'm telling you. Yeah, they must. But uh, isn't the whole episode kind of Final Destination, like trying to cheat death, you know, but not cheating death? You know, oh, so, so it's Final Destination. Uh, I guess it wouldn't count as Groundhog Day because it's not an eternal loop. It's just a one-time premonition. Yeah, I don't know. No, so I'm, I'm going to put the barrier, the divider down. No, so Final Destination is a is a premonition story, whereas Groundhog Day genre is like a, is a loop that you have time to break loop. out yeah. of. Time, time loop, right. So, and then the, the last thing I had from uh, any of the commentaries, uh, did you catch the uh, follow at Vince Haven? You'll be glad you did. On the back, on the board in the school? Yeah, did you catch no, it? No, I didn't catch it. I didn't catch it. Uh, I didn't catch it till they mentioned it on the third commentary. So my third time watching the episodes when I saw it. Yeah, I, I, I didn't catch it till the, uh, the Zuckerman sisters commentary. And then, but then after rewatching it, I'm like, man, you know, that's pretty big. It's, uh, yeah, but your your mind isn't trained to look at stuff like that. You know, you're. <clears throat> they also do that intentionally with art design. Typically, typically, is they you know try to design a room so that your eyes are drawn to specific points. So obviously, they wanted us to see that, but your mind is more trained that you're going to look at the actor's face. Mm-hmm. Right. And or in a wide shot, you're depending on what the furniture, the room's colored or this or that, your eyes and the camera angle, the lighting, everything directs. They create avenues for your eyes to look, you know, they want, you know, your eye sweeps from left to right. So when you're thinking about that shot, it's Chris's face and then to the right of him is that poster. Right. But your eyes uh, in Western because we're in the Western world the way we, our mind works, even when we're watching movies, your eyes, your brain starts in the top left corner and then sweeps. It sweeps. Uh, I'm sorry. No, it is definitely the left. I can't remember if it's the top now, but it's, it's for sure the left side and it sweeps right. So probably what's hap- what happens in our brains is we're starting left sweeping. We're hitting Chris's face and then we stick on Chris's face because we're going to read his emotions and we're not or, or is it because of his trouble and he's so charming yeah, we can't right. look away <laughs> such a great man uh but you know and so your eyes aren't going to sweep further right to see what's because you're already locked onto the where it is right and then it also breaks down to the rule of thirds and cinematography is like there's if you do a nine square grid do you know about the rule of thirds no of course not if you I, I, you took a video class in high school i don't know 
Yeah, I got banned from it for bad taste. Yeah, which I disagree with. It was good taste. It was a hilarious uh, commercial. You know, there's a rule of thirds. So you put like a, a, a nine grid on a on an image, right? So four lines, you know, to make a grid of one, two, th- a three by three grid, essentially, right? Okay. So make that. And then the intersections of those lines. So there'll be four intersections in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so if, like, we're, imagine the Brady Bunch grid. There's four. That's exactly what yeah. I was imagining <laughs> as you were talking about it. Yeah. So if you imagine the Brady Bunch grid, the those points, those are naturally where your eyes are go- want to rest on the screen. So when you're lining up stuff for cinematography purposes uh, and photography, th- I learned this first for photography, then eventually when I was doing uh, more cinematography stuff is you line up your subjects or what you want to draw attention to on like you put somebody's face or their eyes like on those dots to because that's where your eyes are going to naturally rest and that's where you want to look at is those spots so it's called the rule of thirds so you know as our eyes sweep we're going you know there's a there's a order of operations to the way you view film and obviously this is happening so quickly and so subconsciously you we're all not really aware of it until you know it's pointed out that we're doing it Right. There's a reason why heroes in movies, when they're running, they're running to the right. They're always running to Rocky when he's running up the stairs to the museum. He's running up right and upwards. It's like that, like, has this association in your mind of like success and the way you like read and stuff, like naturally. Whereas like heroes will go to the left instead of to the right because that's backwards to you. Uh, so stuff like that. So hmm. if they had but, put the writing on the, but then again, this would have, I'm sure the DP would have been like, fuck no, don't do this. But if they put the writing maybe on the left side of Chris's face, your eyes sweep would catch that, then catch Chris, but it might be too distracting, right? Instead of just an Easter egg. So what do you think about them like slipping that in there? You know, you, you think that's cool or, you know, as, yeah, as an artist, it, you know. It didn't, it didn't take away anything from me because I didn't even notice it. Uh, so it's cool. Whatever this Twitter thing is, I'm going to do some homework on it because I think I had read, I want to say I've read on the wiki a little bit about uh, a Twitter story that they did, that they, the story they told through Twitter or something. So I'm going to do my homework on that. I'll come back to you with the full story on that because that's also like a, uh, do you know what an ARG is? An alternative, an alternative reality game? I never knew it as a game, but I've known about all, you know, alternate history and alternate reality fiction and things no, of that nature. But. So an, an ARG is essentially, you know, we're going into some crazy territory in this episode. <laughs> uh, we're going into photography uh, <laughs> lesson hour, ARG. ARGs are basically online. You It doesn't have to be online. You set up these like this these things to make it seem like it's real. It's not. So it's a game, but it's designed to kind of, it's best told through an example. So, you talking like this? Uh, I, very simplistic version of that, like The Sims. Or? No, no, not The Sims. Not The Sims. <laughs> it's it's in real life. So it's basically if I were to put a, uh, I'm just gonna make one up, like as an example. Like if you were going around and you saw like a sticker on like a light pole that had a website, and you go to the website, and then it's it's like okay, there's like a a person who needs your help. So you need to go do this. And then, you know, you got to call a number. So you call a number. And then, so it's a, it's a game that's designed to be played in real life as if it was really happening. Yeah. Oh, uh, J- Jason or- Siegel did, did a, did a show on those types of games. It was dispatches from elsewhere. And it was based on this real life game that was played in San Francisco. It was a uh, very, very interesting. Actually, that actually sounds kind of fun though. It looked like 
it could be easy for people to get obsessed with something like that. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, and there's there's simpler ones. What I'm I'm assuming they did on Twitter is there's a very popular one on Twitter called the Sun Vanished. And the Sun Vanished is basically a guy made a Twitter account about where he says one day the fucking sun vanished and all his tweets are basically from a world where the sun disappeared and he even makes these like fake news reports like real like anchors talking about like he's cut it so it makes it sound like they're talking about the sun having vanished and what the earth's trying to do to survive without it uh and then he's got the then there's these other twitter accounts that are made by him that are other people in this like universe that you're trying to like find the clues to figure out what happened to the sun so it's like telling a story over time, but it they're really crazy because they're in the moment, right? They're very hard to preserve and uh, they're based off of like participation, right? Because it's a game. Games, you have to participate. It's not uh, like like movies and TV are you participate, but in a different way, right? You press play and then it goes, whereas like these you have to well, seek out more passive. information. Well, it's passive. It's passive That's participation. That's what I'm, yeah. passive. That's it's what not I'm active looking for. participation. Right. Yeah. Um, and we could split hairs. I can go into like participation and stuff on watching movies and media, blah, 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 blah. But this is a lot more active version of participation in terms. So it's just hard to preserve and it's hard to look back on. But uh, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what they did on Twitter for this one. But I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to mm. do a, di- a deep dive and see what I can find on. Yeah. And a spoiler, story. spoiler alert, listeners, sun vanishes. We all freeze to death. OK, <laughs> By, like very quickly. Yeah, so we'll we'll look into we'll look into that and report it because I'm sure now, especially if you're re, if you jumped in a if you jumped in a haven after the show wasn't airing because we were, but I wasn't on Twitter and stuff. I didn't really, I didn't I knew what Twitter was obviously, but I didn't have any involvement in it at the time. So uh, I definitely was not participating or jump or following <laughs> Haven's Twitter account, so I wouldn't have even you know got I wouldn't have known at the time. So it's probably even harder now. So we'll try to find what we can and. Yeah, I was in the Twitter. I wasn't in the Twitterverse back then. Now, like we are now. Hey, we we have a we have a Twitter account. Well, people should be tweeting at us. All right. So I was looking into Groundhog Day and where the idea even came from, like the origin. Uh, I guess we don't have a special segment this episode, but this I, this whole discussion about Groundhog Day will be the the equivalent. African right? tribe folklore. African tribe folklore. I'm no, just throwing no, it no. out there. That's, That's my not- prediction. That's an hour. <laughs> Damn it, I'm wrong already. So I was looking at, first of all, before I go even further back, I was looking at Groundhog Day, what they, you know, what the writer, what the writer was thinking when he was writing it, Danny Rubin. And this is pretty crazy. Uh, apparently he was reading <laughs> The Vampire Lestat by Anne hmm. Rice. And or Lestat is going on about, you know, the, the musing about you know, man and how, you know, if all men were eternal, blah, 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 blah. And like, would they make the same mistakes that yada, yada, yada. And like how they would only with time, could they break free of all, I don't know, the constant loop of mistakes they make. And so then the writer was thinking like, Oh, you know, it'd be pretty crazy to show, you know, from beginning, you know, through this, like whatever centuries or whatever of a vampire or of a, an immortal man learning, you know, finally breaking the cycle, but then was like, but that would be so expensive. So why don't I just do it for one day? And then just loop it over and over and over. That is fascinating. As a, a fan of Anne Rice and uh, the you know the Vampire Chronicles kind of well, not, uh, when we use that term, I'll say uh, the you know Lestat books. Even though the Rice verse, mm-hmm. I said the Rice verse, the Rice verse. Yeah, and I mean <laughs> the books go well beyond uh, just Lestat. Yeah, but uh, but and by <laughs> the way, Tom Cruise never should have been allowed to play fucking Lestat. 
I just thought it was the craziest thing. That's the inspiration behind Groundhog Day is the vampire Lestat is like, what the fuck? You were reading that and you came up with Groundhog Day, the basis for Groundhog Day. But the basis for Groundhog Day goes a little or the idea of like an eternal uh, loop goes further back than that. Uh, It's a concept called eternal, eternal return or eternal recurrence. So uh, you see traces of it, obviously, throughout time. So like ancient Egypt, Mayans and Aztecs, Greeks, they all had concepts of uh, eternity and looping of, you know, reincarnation and Indian culture as well of just not just reincarnation, but, you know, time replaying itself essentially in a giant loop. But that's oh, yeah. My, my grandpa t- taught me about that when I was a kid yeah, and, my, and my uncle, they were like, you know, many, you know, some scientists and a lot, a lot of philosophers believe uh, time repeats itself. And exactly. will, we make, will we make the same mistakes the next go around that we get our shot at it? So speaking of philosophers is, you know, we come to Friedrich uh, Nietzsche, right? Nietzsche. And he's the one who kind of coined the term eternal recurrence and a lot of musings and talk about the idea of like, what if man were to uh, relive the same day over and over and over. And there's a debate if he's talking about if it, if it would literally, if it was about literally it happening, or if he meant just mentally the idea of, you know, we're replaying the same day over and over. So I, I, it's up to interpretation, but then, you know, he, it creates this kind of like little, I don't know, this, what would you call it? I don't know, is it an allegory or whatever you call it of basically if a demon were to kidnap a man and then tell him you must relive the same day over and over uh, or the same day, every down to the detail, the only way to win the game against the demon would be to uh, be happy about it. I mean, you know, there's like, uh, you know, that's in mythology, like Sisyphus, you know, rolls the rock up to the top of the hill and then it just rolls down the other side, roll the rock up the hill. And there's with like the the grapes just out of, you know, those types of things. And, uh, you know, Nietzsche is is legendary, you know, Uh, that which does not kill me makes me stronger. And no fuckers, that's not Kelly Clarkson. That was Nietzsche. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I used to like have that quote like in my office people are like oh you like kelly clarkson no i like nietzsche damn it no but yeah no it's a it, it, really fascinating concepts i don't know if uh, uh nietzsche played into the creation of the groundhog day genre concept or you know sisyphus but i like to think that maybe bill murray was in his trailer thinking about sisyphus during the shooting <laughs> That is the end of our episode. As we said, there's no real special segment. Uh, You're going to cover more Secrets of Haven in our next episode. Trouble drops on Mondays, so make sure to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Pandora, TuneIn, Deezer, and YouTube. If you want to contact us, the easiest way to reach us is by email. You can reach us at troubledrewatchpod.com at gmail.com if you want the podcast straight from the source you can visit our website troubledpodcast.com where we upload every episode and put updates for everyone to see what we're up to any links that you have trouble finding or aren't connecting right in the show notes you can visit there but let's say you're on twitter and you want to follow us (laughs) Uh, our handle is at havens troubled maybe we'll throw a recommendation you'll be able to see the sun vanished if you're interested in any arg type stuff that's a capital h and a capital t on us havens troubled 
Follow us for more Haven-related irreverence. Podcasting is fun. We love it, but it doesn't pay our bills, and we'd like it to. That's why you can find us on Patreon. There's a link in the show notes. If you go to Patreon and search for Troubled or Return to Haven, you can find us. We have three tiers, uh, as previously mentioned. You can uh, join us on that $1 tier. That's the tourist tier, and you get access to our production documents, fun behind-the-scenes info, as well as a fan shout-out, a Wu-Tang nickname. Wrestler names are coming, if they haven't gotten to you already. And the Mad Lib documents. Are all available for you. If you join our $3 tier, though, you can uh, become a Haven resident and listen to our bonus series called Troubled with Extra Syrup. We cover a bunch of stuff like movies, TV shows, books, and most recently, real life events. If you want to listen there, soundtracks, it's all good stuff. We try to always connect it to Haven and Maine however we can. Lastly, our $5 tier is our Haven's Troubled tier where you get access to Director's Cuts episodes that will be dropping throughout 2021 you'll also have the option to set up a zoom call or a q a with us if you want schedule it we'll talk we can even turn into an episode or some kind of document if you think there's cool information we can talk haven we can talk stephen king we can talk uh nietzsche <laughs> yeah. i don't know we'll, how, we'll even I, put the video on if if they want but you know uh, they will have to sign a disclaimer you know you know so that they, we cannot be sued for the hideousness. Oh, I think the the video is the hundred dollar tier, right? That's <laughs> yeah. We got to pay them a hundred dollars to look yeah. at us. <laughs> and remember, we're still doing our fan our Blu-ray giveaway. So if you want to get a copy of season one of Haven on Blu-ray, so you can listen to these delicious commentaries, these scandalous commentaries <laughs> and uh, all that uh, extra, extra extras, just extra special features. You want to get all access to all of that. All you got to do is submit us a haiku on Twitter, email, whatever it takes. That's a three, five, three, five, seven, five. However it works. You can keep it. You can keep it brief. If you want to go a little longer, you can go a little longer. But uh, that's all we need is something short. And the more right. Haven no, no, related, no Beowulf or you know Dante, you know Divine Comedy, you know exactly, exactly. Yeah. And uh, the the more Haven related you get it, the better. I'm not trying to. We're not trying to read a poem on uh, the evil of American Airlines or something like that. We want uh, something something like what we try to do. You know, we try to connect uh, the things we do to Haven and. Uh, Stephen King and Maine and stuff like that. So like we got a syrup. little theme going on. Yeah, syrup. That's just anything it. to do with syrup. We're in. So whatever you can, uh, whatever you can scrounge together. There's a free Haven season one Blu-ray in it for you. Um, but that is all I've got. My name is Alex French, and this is Rich French. And I want to echo Alex's thanks for listening. We really appreciate your listenership. Uh, we hope you will uh, be active and part and uh, participate with us. Hit us up on Twitter, send us some emails. We'd like to know your thoughts. What do you want to hear about or something? You, you know, you don't agree with our take on, we would, we, we'd love to be reading that on, you know, on our, one of our future episodes so that we can interact with you. But once again, we thank you for your time and we, uh, think you would be really well served to become Patreon members, but because uh, uh, just the extra value that's there and some really cool stuff. And uh, we, we do some really cool things like pitches for TV shows based on Stephen King books and all of that. So there's some great stuff there, but enough shilling. Thanks <laughs> for your time. Please be safe. And most importantly, please remember, never let your troubles get you down. <laughs>